Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. You know what today is a good day for. What's that? Well, it is now 2023, even though we're recording this in 2022. (laughs) But it's a new year. It's a good day for a new intro. And if you're on YouTube, you'll notice we actually have video this time around. New audio, new video, a new intro to the Do Theology podcast. Catch you on the other side of the new music. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. I just realized something. He wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on purpose. Something to say I think is important but not essential would be like the inerrancy of scripture. Um, oh, wow. And okay. I hold to the inerrancy of scripture. Okay. Title of my sermon tonight is Why Church Nurseries Are Unscriptural and Wrong. And so that's why I have a baby on my hip right here. There is a level of anointing that I believe is going to invade your homes, invade your sight, invade your senses. Um, that's going to, I literally feel that chains are going to break off of you. Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. 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 Yay! Yeah. So am I a bad guy for saying you're wrong? Yeah. I am? Yeah. <laughs> that's not fair. Hey, by the way, you are a slave. If you're not a slave of Christ... You're a slave of sin. You aren't free. Choose your master. Give us some men who know the truth. And you and me, we're those men, right? Mm-hmm. We're the men who know the <laughs> truth. I'm pretty sure, yes, yeah, Steve Lawson had in mind uh, uh, the two of us when he said that. I, I think so. It only makes sense. Oh, so many fun clips in there, huh? Yeah, I love What's it. What's your favorite clip in there? Oh, the one that makes me laugh is uh, the Stephen Furtick sleeping on purpose. That... He wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on purpose. And, and for that those of you who can't see the video, he uh, he's actually... Uh, I laugh. I probably shouldn't laugh. He's in the church service. He's lying down on the stage. I think it's like there's like a floor speaker or something where he's put his Bible behind his head as he's lying down with his head against the speaker so his bible is like the pillow and he's his hands he's not even using his hands to hold his mic he's got a handheld mic but it's just resting on his chest (laughs) and he wasn't sleeping on a pillow he was sleeping on purpose that's right talking about jesus which i don't know what passage you get that from no So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty exciting. It's good stuff. Uh, other good stuff is that we just released, our, our last episode was about limited atonement and preterism, mm-hmm. and we got some feedback on the limited atonement stuff, didn't we, Kenny? We did. I uh, got some emails, got some messages through other means. Yeah, we had some we had some good interactions, some good uh, uh, comment threads going on on the YouTube uh, video. Yeah, it's good stuff. All all positive, everyone in full agreement with us. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> no, the majority of it, obviously, people taking uh, contrary opinions, which we knew that that would come. You know, every time, anytime you have a have an episode about something controversial like that, people will want to chime in, and that's what we're here for. We're here for those discussions, so we're grateful for that. Um, but one, one of the things that we said in that episode that we probably could have emphasized a little bit more was that we were really kind of really scratching the surface of that topic and that discussion. And it was really intended to be just kind of an overview type thing, especially in light of, of the paper that I wrote for my seminary class, where I was really dealing with a, a handful of texts in particular and studying those out. And the purpose of the conversation was to play off of that paper, not necessarily delve into the whole topic as a whole. In light of the interaction that we've gotten, though, we would like to do a fuller episode on the topic of limited atonement, where we can dive into some of these issues more expansively, get into some of the argumentation more fully, and possibly have a guest on who might be able to mm. discuss some of those things with us as well. So I'll be looking forward to that in the future. Yeah, seems like it's probably going to work out with that guest. We're kind of working on that right now and yeah. going to pick a date here before too long. So look for that in February, maybe March. And I'll just say, 
I hope that we can have a book giveaway in conjunction oh. with that guest. So just a little, wow. add a little cherry on top of the teaser there. Well, now that you've said it, I said hope have to make it happen. I said okay. hope. So all right. Uh, something else I want to mention too before we get into today's content is that I, I didn't mention in conjunction with the new intro that we have that the music, the custom music that was provided there that you heard, the beautiful electric guitar, bass guitar, and drums, everything that you heard was provided by the one and only Dustin Garrett, who did our last intro. Also, he's a friend of ours from Bible College. Love Dustin, and he's always uh, willing to help out the podcast. A friend of the show, a friend of us, and uh, he does a great job with that. So that's where that came from. Awesome. We, we, we're grateful for it. It's awesome. Well, today let's talk about tribalism and why, as Christians, we need to be on guard against tribalism. Uh, we'll start by explaining the problem that we have in front of us here. What is tribalism and why is it bad? And then we'll get into three questions to answer uh, in regard to how we can avoid the bad kind of tribalism. So um, it, it kind of started with a, a tweet of mine, This the thought for this episode. Uh, a few weeks ago, I tweeted out, theological tribalism is Christian cannibalism. I like that tweet. That you know that would even fit in the old uh, character restrictions for Twitter that were. What, oh yeah, hundred forty-four characters. Yeah, yeah whatever, whatever it was. Yeah, Christ, the theological tribalism is Christian cannibalism. That's what I said. Is that a good tweet? It's a great tweet. Maybe wow. one of the best tweets that there's ever been. <laughs> no one tweets like me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> stop again. So, so here's here's the problem. Here's how we get to theological tribalism that actually ends up being a form of Christian cannibalism. It starts with the fact that secondary doctrine exists. Now, this is just a fact. It's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. You know, we we're not getting into the morality of the existence of secondary doctrine here, but it's just a reality where you have within. Christianity, a variety of views on a variety of subjects. Now, there's great unity on certain subjects, uh, particularly the gospel and other definitional aspects of Christianity. There's great unity. But then from there, as we know, Christianity is quite diverse. It kind of spread branches out, and, and there's there are various views, and those views doctrinally speaking, are what can be called secondary doctrine. That just exists. Now, what happens from there is that teams end up forming within the branches of secondary doctrine. Uh, we call them denominations usually, but, but you have teams or tribes that form, and that's just a natural outflow of the reality that these different views exist. You start studying scripture and you start developing your own views and you naturally gravitate toward other mm -hmm. people who share several of those views. And all of a sudden there are a few of you standing around and one of you is the captain and you're a team. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to have a captain, but um, you can't really get around that either. That's also just a reality, isn't it? I mean, I don't see a way that you get around tribes existing. It, it, yeah, it's just like you mentioned, it's the natural outflow of the existence of secondary doctrine. We are going to want to be around people who share our views and, and have similar viewpoints as us. It makes ministry easier. It makes a lot of things easier. So the existence of the tribes itself, again, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. When, when it's, it's going to be easier to do ministry with someone who holds your same view as baptism as you do than it is to be with someone who holds a different view. Yes. So it, there's... It, on a lot of levels, the the formation of these different teams or tribes uh, is it's a practical necessity to a degree. Yeah. So now the question becomes: What do you do with that? What what do you do with that reality to prevent bad things coming from there? Because by nature, just like teams or tribes exist by nature within secondary doctrine, teams and tribes have the propensity, naturally, to compete with each other. And again, this is another area where it's not necessarily bad, but it can get out of hand rather quickly. 
So, for instance, you can have a uh, say you're in a small town in a very low Christian place. And you've got your church that you feel like is a just a really solid Christian church. And you've got several reasons to believe that, namely because of your biblical theology. And there's just one other church in town that could be considered Christian, but boy, they're Christian by the skin of their teeth, right? <laughs> they just have a lot of problems. And there are scenarios like this, you know, where, where this exists. Now, do you want people to flock to that church be- with their deficient Bible teaching? Even though you could you could say, yeah, they're Christians, but, right? Well, no, you're not going to encourage people to go there. Right. And I think that kind of competition can be quite good because it kind of falls into the category of iron sharpening iron where, hey, as Christians, we need to press each other on toward a biblical theology yes. and not support someone else, uh, especially a ministry, a big influential ministry, when they're off in some serious ways, even though those ways might be secondary. Well, that, if we and, believe, But that's where it gets really yeah. tricky. Yeah, if we believe that our secondary issue is what is true, uh, and obviously we hold to that position, so we do, it's natural that we're going to want to convince other people to, and, and try to win them through, mm-hmm. you know, studying the scriptures, through the, whatever argumentation we may use. Hopefully it's the scriptures that ought to be the method of, of uh, approach that we use. But that's the natural approach. I mean, I I want people to hold to the same view on baptism as I hold because I believe it's the biblical and the correct position. I want people Mm -hmm. to hold to the view on limited atonement that I do, (laughs) to go back to our last episode, because I think it's the biblical view. Mm -hmm. That's the natural approach, and and other people want to win me to their position. Mm -hmm. So that's the natural outflow. But the issue that we're going to explore through this episode is how we go about doing that. It's how we do it that really is important. Yes, and that's because um, what happens within competition now, we're just following the line of consequences here. Uh, What happens within competition is that so often the flames of pride get fanned and Pride just consumes Christ-like love and humility. There's just no way around it. Yeah. So so what you have then is secondary doctrine existing, teams and tribes forming out of secondary doctrine, those teams and tribes having the propensity to compete with one another, and then the competition fanning the flames of pride that squelch love. Mm-hmm. So we're saying some of these things are just natural to the Christian life. There's just no getting around them. But then there are other parts of this where we have to take a look and say, well, wait a second, that's not good. We need to work on that. And that's what this episode is about. We've discussed in previous episodes about the uh, the passage in, uh, oh, man, is it 1st or 2nd Corinthians about knowledge Uh-oh. puffs up? 1st. First. 1st Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Yes. And it's not that the Apostle Paul is against growing in knowledge. Mm-hmm. But we need to be on guard against the puffing up yes so yep and and what's interesting too when we think about tribalism it is uh, the existence of tribalism is easily identifiable in the grander stage of national politics or our national culture i think all of us recognize we have some major tribal divides in america right now particularly between urban centers and rural places where you're talking liberal versus conservative, progressive versus, you know, whatever. It's just, there's a clear divide. And and COVID really emphasized that. I mean, Trump emphasized that big time, and then Mm. COVID really emphasized that. But then when you get into the Christian community, it's frequently unnoticed, I think, how this tribalism is going on and affecting us. It's even subconsciously embraced uh, the, the prideful competition in our tribalism. And that's what we want to bring to the foreground and say, well, let's consciously address it instead of subconsciously embracing it. Let's consciously confront it and see how we can do better. So there are three questions that we want to answer in this episode, walking through this issue. And, um, and, and the first question has to do with our personal interactions. This is where I think tribalism and competition shows up most of the time, particularly if you're on Twitter Christian Twitter is a scary place. Uh, that's like walking through the back alley, and uh, you know you get 
You got your Presbyterians and Baptists and Yay, though I walk uh, through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of Christian Twitter. You are with me. <laughs> uh, um the question is, how do we hear out a Christian viewpoint that is unlike our own? So again, you're thinking personal interaction context. You're talking to another believer, and bang, you just found out this person believes well, this about that. How do you hear out that viewpoint that is unlike your own? Well, let's chat through it. Yeah, so we got to, first of all, there, there ought to be, especially on matters of secondary uh, importance, there ought to be a level of openness to hearing different viewpoints on these things. Um, there are always areas of study that we can improve in, always things that uh, needing to hear more of the diff- different uh, approaches. We should be open to that and not just automatically close the door and be unwilling to learn. I think that that's that's where you almost have to start with a a teachable spirit. You have to have that. Yeah, well, and it requires that you have a distinction in your mind between primary and secondary. Yes. What are you going to be dogmatic on versus what are you open to? And it's easier said than done <laughs> because it's really easy to have a love for a particular secondary viewpoint and become dogmatic on that in the same way you're dogmatic about something that's primary. And that is what we call around here a column error, if you're familiar <laughs> right. with the chart. Which is not to say that that we should be completely wishy-washy in our mm-hmm. approach, where we're mm-hmm. just, you know, being blown around by every wind of doctrine, and just like oh, every time you think you hear an argument, you're kind of drawn to that. I've known individuals that kind of get sucked into those traps as well, oh, where yeah, totally. where because there's never really a diving in to the issues and coming to actual convictions about things oh, this argument sounds good, that argument sounds good, and they kind of just get blown back and forth between opposing viewpoints and never really come to a place of conviction. It's just whoever's got the best argument lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want to avoid that too. Now, now we would say, um, you know, there's an important aspect to all of this, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, if you've been in ministry and you've studied a lot of issues, maybe you've written books. If you are to the point on an issue that you have gone through it, so many times, uh, and you're at the point where you could teach all the different views on this given subject, and you could do so accurately and fairly, and, and you are just so pretty well set where you are, you you may be you know quicker to say to somebody that you're not really open to their view because you've heard it all. Now, you have to be careful with that, too, because you can say you've heard it all, and maybe you haven't heard it all. So there has to be humility still. But for the majority of us, we need just to be we need just to be open on this and and hear what people are saying. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to hear what they're saying, and consider from Scripture what what's uh, being taught. Yes, and we also want to seek to understand the whole of the view, not mm. to just be satisfied with the fruit of the view, but to seek to understand the root of it. And this is. Uh, this is just so, so critical. Um, we, we have to want to, to understand it through and through, to not just look at maybe the application of a doctrine or the application of a method and say, okay, I'm rejecting it because I see where this has led this person or, or whatever, fill in the blank, and then that's it. No, we want to actually trace that back. And even if the fruit that we're looking at, we're saying that's strange. I don't want to end up in that place as a Christian. You know, we could say as dispensationalists, (laughs) we don't want to end up um, where the theonomists are on uh, taking the the law out and calling the civil magistrates to submit to the law and seeking to turn the government uh, Christian. We don't really want to end up there uh, because of where we are theologically. But we don't want to just look at that application and say, oh, well, that's what they're doing. That's pretty far off course from the focus of my ministry, so they must be wrong. We want to say, okay, well, how'd they get there? Let's study the whole of the view, which means we we look at the exegetical issues. Mm-hmm. We look at how the view fits into God's overall program through the overarching storyline of the Bible. We want to discover the history of the position. 
uh, who are some people in church history who taught this view? Where did it Where did it come from? Who was the first person that we know of who wrote about this? Uh, we want to take all that into consideration when examining someone else's view. Yeah, just to, to kind of illustrate that point a little bit you know, on two levels. You, know, you use the theonomist as an example. We can even use dispensationalism as an example. We don't want people to be John Hagee and think that all of dispensationalism is like John Hagee. Mm-hmm. Well, he's made some applications, and he's taken things uh, of, of the system to a place that we wouldn't don't think is consistent with our system. Mm-hmm. People can act and teach inconsistently with the root of the theology at the start. Uh, in my own life, I was extraordinarily resistant to any flavor of any kind of Calvinism, because several Calvinists that I was interacting with at the time, I viewed them as super arrogant individuals that uh, thought they knew better than anyone else. And that level of arrogance, I, I viewed as a conclusion based on the doctrine and the teaching. And I had to come to a place of, of understanding where, well, they're acting inconsistently with their doctrine mm-hmm. of theology, and I needed to study out the doctrine of theology mm-hmm. for myself and not just completely write off all of the argumentation simply because I didn't like how these individuals were presenting themselves. Mm-hmm. Or to send it another direction, uh, the King James-only independent mm-hmm. Baptists are easy to look at and poke fun at. Uh, there are some Twitter accounts that that's all they do is <laughs> just poke fun at them. And you can look at them and say, they have nothing to say to me. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. If if these people are true believers in Christ, it's wrong to, to take that view. Yeah. Okay. Another step in your personal interaction, hearing out an, a Christian viewpoint, friendly listening and inquiry, asking genuine questions and listening to genuine answers. So, so this is something that you do not get on Twitter, yeah. hardly ever. Uh, this is really in the minority on pretty much all social media. And I think if there were more real-life interactions about our disagreements, we would see more of this. But, you know, when everyone's behind a monitor and a keyboard or phone or whatever, they can throw out all kinds of jabs. But basically the principle here is don't be a jerk. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a know-it-all steamroller. Uh, but actually ask questions. I think that's a, a great way to learn <laughs> is to uh, have friendly listening and friendly inquiry. Yeah. How, how do you get to this standpoint? Where, where are you seeing this in the text? What, what leads you to that conclusion? Why is it that you think this way? Uh, that's, that's really the best way to learn a, a viewpoint and how people are arriving at that viewpoint is to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. Yep. And at the same time with this, we do want to demand that every answer be biblical. And so that's not to say, you know, we ask someone a question and we have a friendly spirit about it, about us. And then we just accept whatever answer that is and say, Oh, okay, that's legit or that's valid. No, there are a lot of answers out there that aren't legit or valid. And you can express your disagreement and say, we need to look at the Bible. We need to go back together to see what God has said on this subject. Let's make our answers biblical here. And you can do that in a very kind and gracious way. That is certainly possible. And there are times, too, when they do answer in a biblical way, and we're prone to get defensive because, you remember, we're disagreeing with them here. They've got an opposing view, and we want to just, like, finish the them. <laughs> we'll <laughs> we show want you to, that I'm right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's just end this conversation with me being the victor. Well, sometimes you just need to hear their answer, and a part of being friendly and kind and gracious here is saying, thank you. And then you just go study it on your own. There's no need to like close the deal here, uh, especially on social media. But even in real life, there's no need to close the deal in every conversation because we're all learning, growing, and a lot of these subjects take a lot of study and a lot of time. And so you ask questions and just say, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, I'll look at that. And then you can end it. And that's okay. Actually, in fact, that's probably best in most situations. This is really hard for me to do. <laughs> I don't do well with this, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and why? Well, can you can you express why? Can you articulate it in the moment here? Because uh, I think we, a lot of people, and myself included, relate to what you just said. Well, why is I, it so difficult? I like having my views vindicated. I like being shown to be right. I I think a lot about things, and when I think a lot and I put a lot of thought and effort into something, 
I prefer to have the last word. I prefer to be vindicated in my viewpoint and to, to you know, I don't want to let anybody else think that my non-engagement is tacit agreement with whatever it is that they've said. <laughs> like, it's, it's all pride. You know, these are all pride issues. Mm. Uh, it's, it's very difficult for me to, when someone has responded in some way to just say, uh, okay, I'm just, I'm just not even gonna, gonna deal with that. That's, that's tough to pass up, but mm-hmm. it's all pride. It's, it's at, at its root. It is, yeah. it's all pride. The wanting to have the last word thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yep. Uh-huh. I connect <laughs> with that. All right. Well, uh, second question. So the, the first question we just looked at having to do with personal interaction was, how do we hear out a Christian viewpoint unlike our own? Well, now this question, we want to move to the general observations and general learning that we can participate in as Christians. So maybe not necessarily a, a one-on-one or a private conversation about anything in, in particularly, but how can we as Christians generally observe and learn from people who are not like us? How do we learn from other denominations and other theological communities? So um, I would say the first point here, and most obvious, is don't be afraid to read, listen to, or study Mm. teachings that come from Christian tribes that are even radically different than your own. And yeah, you can, there can be other teams and tribes, denominations, theological, theological communities that are radically different from you who are still gospel believing Christians. And maybe that's the first thing to embrace is that (laughs) that's a reality, but, but don't be afraid to read, listen to, or study those teachings. That's something we can be really hesitant about. Well, something that was drilled into me at a very, um, as I was very new to my own Christian belief when I got saved at about the age of 14, the church I was attending at that time with my family, something that that pastor really drilled into us was that truth never needs to be afraid of investigation. That if something is true, it will withstand scrutiny and it will withstand the examination process. And so when we're confronted with different ideas from people writing from different theological traditions, different camps, different tribes, there should not be a fear of being of exploring those concepts and those ideas. Now, we always want to compare everything to what the scriptures say and teach, so we have to be careful to, uh, to not just read uncritically. We want to read critically. Uh, but yeah, we shouldn't be afraid of the examination process, because truth never needs to be afraid of investigation. Yeah. And so there's great, and it opens up all kinds of great doors, you know, you, to read, you know, whether, you know, okay, we're Baptistic, we'll read the Presbyterian, right? We're, we're cessationist, we'll read the continuationist. Like there's, there's lots of different things that can be explored without being afraid of those resources. That is such a critical point, is that you don't need to be afraid. And that, I mean, evangelism is a great place to really first get that principle, hmm. We don't have to be afraid of challenges to the gospel. We can be open to any challenge and say, well, let's examine it. Let's look at it. You know, especially with new believers who struggle with some of the definitional aspects of Christianity about the trustworthiness of the Bible, say, or uh, the Trinity. We, we don't have to be afraid. We can say, yeah, let's, let's check it out. Let's examine it. And what a, what a great testimony to the God we believe in. Amen. When we are able to say that, I mean, I'm out here among the Mormons and how often they get told, well, don't think about that. That's deep doctrine. That's a phrase they use a lot or, or, um, they try to cover their tracks with history, the history of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. They're always trying to cover their tracks. There's a relationship that that religion has with the truth that I don't want to have. I want to have a relationship with the truth that says, let's just examine it. Let's just jump in. And, and that. So, so that doesn't only apply when we are on the defensive, but when we are seeking what other people are teaching and just want to hear them out, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of the truth. And so this could apply, this principle could apply when we're reading or listening to content regarding theology, methodology, uh, even personal living. And, and what we do with our, our personal spiritual walk and our personal convictions, this principle applies to all of that. So the, the books 
in articles that we read, the podcasts we listen to. That's probably more common, sadly, now than books and articles. <laughs> but hey, here we are contributing to that problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the sermons we listen to, you, you can even listen broadly to yeah. preachers from other theological communities. The conferences we attend, even, yeah. um, going and hearing people out, it applies to all of that. I mean, if someone were to look at your podcast app and see what podcasts you listen to, are they going to see some of a variety or none? I mean, which we don't want to say too broad of a variety <laughs> necessarily, right. but but are they going to see some variety or are you just in an echo chamber all the time? That's basically the question. If someone were to look at your library, the books you read, is it just always an echo chamber? The articles you read, the websites you check out, you don't want to get trapped in that echo chamber. And obviously there's always, there's the two sides of it. You don't want to be trapped in the echo chamber. And we also recognize again and have said, and will continue to say, we don't read uncritically. We don't listen uncritically. We don't just accept everything we read and we hear. And, and so there's, there has to be a level of, of spiritual maturity and discernment uh, for that process uh, to know. And this goes back to what you're saying about having the categories in our mind clearly about what's primary, what's secondary, and, and things of that nature. But read critically. Like, don't just accept yeah. everything that you read on face value just because it's in a book doesn't mean it's true. Just because there's two guys yapping into a microphone coming through your earbuds doesn't mean it's all true. So mm -hmm. consider it all biblically and filter it that way. Because really what we're talking about or what you just explained, there are two ditches, just like with pretty much every conversation. There's the the ditch of uh, being so broad that you don't have any convictions and you're just right. a baby bird taking whatever's dropped in your mouth. And then there's the other ditch, and that's where tribalism lives, is here in this other ditch, where you're never hearing anybody out on anything other than what you already believe. Right. And uh, as I said in a Bible study recently to our guys here at our church, God is not more glorified by conservative errors than he is with liberal errors. Uh, we, you know, we can gravitate toward tribalism because that's more conservative. We don't want to branch out and, and and be affected by what we perceive to be wrong. And so we, we say, well, we're just going to stay here and we're going to mark everybody as bad teachers. Well, that's an error. Hmm. That, that, that is an error. If these are your brothers and sisters in Christ... Um, they may, in your eyes at this moment, be deficient teachers, but hear them out. They, they start, they're studying the Bible. They have the same Holy Spirit as you. They have the same Lord as you. And they're here, hopefully, with the same intention as you to grow in the faith through Scripture and to sharpen one another. So don't just close yourself off to them. That's anti-love. That's anti-humility. Um, that's an error. So we just have to be very, very careful about thinking, well, the tribalism error is better than this other error, so I'm going to stick with this error. How about you just don't do any errors? <laughs> Shouldn't that be the goal? Yeah, it'd just be just like us theologically, and you won't have any errors whatsoever, right? right? That just, <laughs> it just, it just all flows. Yeah. Uh, and, and so someone might wonder at this point, <laughs> someone who's listening, listening to us might wonder at this point, well, what, so what's the goal then? Well, the goal is not watery, shallow Christianity, like watered-down gospel mm -hmm. or just inch-deep Christianity. The goal isn't for us to lose our convictions, our distinctions, even our tribes. That's not the goal. The, the goal of this conversation isn't to lose your tribes, but the goal is to be sharpened by people yes. who are outside of your tribe. So, for example, does Doug Wilson have something to teach independent fundamental Baptists? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> Do independent fundamental Baptists have something to teach Pentecostals? Do Pentecostals have something to teach Presbyterians? Do Presbyterians have something to teach non-denominational Bible church people? I mean, it goes on and on, and I think the answer is yes. Mm. To say no, to me, creates a massive problem. Yeah, there's all kinds—to say no really is— I mean, it, it's a position of really arrogance, I think, where you just, you think you have everything all figured out, and, and you may have thought through a great many issues, and that's great. But to say that there's nothing that can be learned from anyone outside of your tribe, uh, who, yeah, yeah, don't want to go there. So we've talked about being against tribalism in our personal interaction, against tribalist, tribalism in our general observations, our general learning. Now, we want to be against tribalism in the realm of public 
unity, public endorsements, public partnering. And this is much more difficult. But the question is basically this. How can we better partner with each other as Christians to display unity more clearly than our differences? And I guess maybe the first question is actually, is that the goal to more clearly display unity than differences? And that's a question I think everybody's just got to ask themselves. Is that what I want? Do I want the world to see unified Christianity across denominational differences? What's your gut reaction to that, Ken? Yeah, as I'm just kind of thinking it through, um, you know, there's an aspect of context of where, you know, it depends on who you're interacting with and what the questions are that's going to drive whether or not I'm highlighting unity or differences. I think it is it is best if, if for the as the world looks at Christianity. Man, there's a lot of bad Christianity out there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so to so, so to say that oh yeah we're all you know we're all kind of on the same team when there's a lot of so-called Christianity that may not even be Christianity at all. Um, <laughs> mm, there's 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 a uh, there's some fine lines. Uh, in the midst of this conversation. But there, I think the point that we're getting at is there is an element of unity that should be embraced, mm-hmm. and that when we are dealing with issues of the gospel and things of that nature, we should be able to affirm one another as believers in Jesus Christ. Dot, dot, dot. Well, and this is the, the classic word of ecumenicism, how mm. ecumenical should we seek to be as Christians? Now, in that realm, we do have to recognize there's a distinction. So going back to the last point of of being open and against tribalism in our general observations and learning, someone might read Thomas Aquinas, if I could use a topical hot button issue here. Someone might read Thomas Aquinas, who was a Roman Catholic from a thousand years ago, just about, who uh, wrote a lot of theological works, and that person finds Thomas helpful, rejects Catholicism, uh, moves on. There's a difference between that and then coming out and signing the Evangelicals and Catholics Together statement from the 1990s where they came out and said, we actually all agree on the gospel and we're showing a united front between Protestant Evangelicals and Catholics. We're, We're united. We sign a statement saying we're united. Those are two different scenarios. And I definitely would caution against the latter. I would caution even a little bit against the former, but that's a different conversation. Uh, I, I definitely would would caution against the latter. So, because at that point you're you're blurring the gospel. At that point, yeah, you absolutely are, because there are major problems with the Roman Catholic Church, and and you can consider too the in the history of ecumenicism, the neo evangelicalism, yeah of Billy Graham, uh, Daniel Fuller, of uh, F. Carl Henry. Mm-hmm. Okay, these were some of the big players in that realm. And actually there was the, I'm going to say this city name wrong. I haven't heard too many people say this, so I don't know who to copy off of. The Lausanne, Lausanne oh, Statement or Covenant. Uh, that's a, a, a city or a town in like France or Switzerland or something, I'm really showing my deficiency in understanding this. But but Lausanne. it was basically... I just looked up the pronunciation. Lausanne, looks like. Lausanne. Okay, so the, so the Lausanne Covenant, I thought it was called the Lausanne Statement. Well, it was um, led by John Stott, and this was in 1974. And it went through just like a, a general statement of, Christian statement of faith that went through primary doctrine and it was signed by a lot of bigwigs. So, I mean, John Stott is a name um, that many people know. But uh, let me pull up some of the big signers. I know Francis Schaeffer signed it. That was a, um, he was a big name. I'm pretty sure Billy Graham signed it. Why is the Wikipedia article not giving me the names of <laughs> the, the people who signed it? Um, okay. I don't know if that just got edited, but how do you say it? Lausanne? Loz- yeah, Lausanne. Yeah, Lausanne. Uh, yeah. C- city in Switzerland. Okay, got that figured out. <laughs> July 1974, started by John Stott, signed by Billy Graham, 
of course, John Stott, Francis Schaeffer, Ralph Winter, Carl Henry, and others. Okay. And uh, the purpose uh, was to reframe the Christian mission in a world of political, economic, intellectual, and religious upheaval. Uh, they went through and just had some basic Christian convictions, and they came together and signed signed the thing. All right. That's another example of this like public unity where people from different denominational backgrounds, they got together and they said, okay, we can all agree on this. Even though they may have some really strong secondary differences, they came together and they did that. It almost has a, uh, a we are the world feeling. Do you remember? Isn't that what it's called? I'm showing my ignorance on so many things now. There was a song in the 1980s, We Are the World. Did you ever hear about that, Ken? I don't think I did. Uh, the USA for Africa, We Are the World video with like Michael Jackson and a bunch of other people, uh, singers came together and it was like basically kumbaya modernized. <laughs> and uh, you can kind of get that in, in Christianity sometimes. Uh, I think a lot of people want that deep down. Um, but there are some issues with that where you're setting aside some major differences to go for this united looking front for the world. And even though we want that Christian love and unity to be seen by the world. We don't want to sacrifice things that are important, and that is the challenge. And that's why you get these discernment ministry guys like Service Christie and others who make these videos and say, well, look, they're partnering doing this conference together, or they're showing up at this thing together, and and they shouldn't be doing that because they're too different. And it's just, just a really delicate balancing act. Well, it's why we have things like you know the Together for the Gospel Conference that was, on one hand, extraordinarily popular. Thousands upon thousands of people came to these conferences, and yet at the end of the day, it couldn't go on. Yeah. And, and there are reasons for why it couldn't go on. It wasn't just, it wasn't just like, well, it's just, you know, it, it's, I know that <laughs> when everything kind of ended with the Together for the Gospel conference, they kind of presented like, well, it's just kind of run its course. But anyone who knows what's going on kind of behind the scenes and underground with some of the, the shifts that have, were taking place in evangelicalism, it doesn't, it's not hard to figure out where the fracture lines are and what made that not be a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And we see that kind of fracturing anytime there is some level of attempt at unity across aisles, there, there's... For some reason, well, for some reason, there's obvious reasons, it's difficult to make those kinds of movements last and be meaningful for an extended period of time. Can we do this as Christians? We got Kenny Rogers. We got Tina Turner. We got Billy Joel. They're all there. We are the world. Mm. We are. We could. We could do the. We are the church. Big Christian collaboration, <laughs> singing together. Even all these famous preachers who probably can't sing. Let's get Vody Bauckham in there. Let's get MacArthur. Let's throw in uh, some good Presbyterians and Pentecostals. <laughs> <laughs> and they can sing, we are the church. Well, um, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The rail, we've gone off the rails. I've derailed us in this last point. So what do we do? Well, um, it does depend on what we want to prioritize, right? If we want to try to work across the aisle with people with different theological convictions, what do we prioritize as we do that? Uh, a lot of post-mill guys right now, are setting aside a lot of their disagreements on stuff to work together because they're prioritizing post-millennialism and this, uh, you know, advancement of the theonomy worldview. You know, you can think probably most notably is the Apologia Church and uh, Doug Wilson Connection, where they, they disagree on baptism. I mean, one's Presbyterian, the other one's Baptist, but it, they're setting that aside. Their Presbyterian session allows for credo and Pado baptism in the same session, right? But uh, but Doug Wilson, of course, and his ilk. Yeah, the big know, are, yeah the big names there are are Presbyterian. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean you got Jared Longshore who there with Founders Ministries, Tom Askell, he becomes Presbyterian. Jared Longshore does leaves Florida and mm-hmm. moves up to Idaho to be at Doug Wilson's <laughs> church because um, he became post mill and Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. And so that's 
interesting. Uh, you see it with Calvinism all the time. A lot of like the Shepherds yeah. conferences and stuff like that. Like the G three uh, conference. Is, oh yeah, G three is a big. Yeah. It's it's united around Reformed theology, even though there are Presbyterian and Baptist people there. Well, it's yeah, united around Calvinism basically, right. yeah. um, because you get. MacArthur and Lawson there who are dispensational and they don't talk about it. It never comes up. It's just all about, especially this next one, 2023, it's going to be about the sovereignty of God. Right. It's just going to be Calvinists prioritizing Calvinism and showing a united front, but they're still emphasizing a layer of secondary doctrine. So the question is, is there a place for emphasizing maybe a set one secondary doctrine to the exclusion of other secondary doctrines. Is there a place for emphasizing primary doctrine to the exclusion of all secondary doctrine? Is there a place for emphasizing the gospel to the exclusion of everything else? Uh, this is really, really difficult, isn't it? It is. And so much of it, I think, has to come back to the context in which you're having these conversations and and what the goals are you're seeking to accomplish for those purposes. So, you know, you we're using different examples of like conferences and things. Well, they've made choices, and I mean, I'm not going to say that they've made necessarily wrong choices, right? They're 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 united around something. Is yeah. it inherently wrong that they're united around that thing? Eh, prob- probably not. I mean, there, you, maybe it's an issue of wisdom, but I, I can't say that they're in sin because they have a G3 conference united around something in particular. Okay, well, here's a scenario I'll throw at you. Uh, you know, you're a church planter there in mm-hmm. southern Indiana. Say you get invited to participate in a uh, an outreach, revival, whatever they want to call it, at like a local city park. It's being put on by an Assemblies of God group, but they're inviting multiple area churches where they can get their name out, they can be there. If there are any conversions that day, you can connect with them and help them get plugged into the local church. But, you know, they're the ones who are running the event, this Assemblies of God group, and they've got the speakers there and everything. Do you say, okay, yeah, I'll be a part of that, or do you reject it because of the secondary doctrine differences? Probably something I'm not going to participate in. We we had that exact scenario two or three years ago here, and we, really? did, not, we did not participate in it. Okay, yeah. It just, there's, there's too many opportunities for confusion, when you're engaging with unbelievers who really aren't, don't have any context or back understanding for where any of the speakers are coming from, where you're coming from as an individual, um, I, I would see that level of unity as a hindrance to the purpose of the event. And in that particular case with the, like an Assemblies of God group, you've got obviously the charismatic issues that come with that in the mm-hmm. place of sign gifts, uh, perhaps even requiring someone manifest the gift of tongues to prove that that person was truly converted. Yep. You have gender role issues that we're going to disagree on mm-hmm. um, and going to be extremely Arminian. They can believe you, they believe you can lose your salvation. Um, so that's, those are three really big ones <laughs> and yeah, that's tough. But then how do you answer somebody? Maybe, maybe you are honest with the person. I shouldn't say honest. You're always honest, but you, maybe you're totally transparent and frank with the person who's asking you and you say to that person, Hey, we got these big ish, these big, you know, uh, disagreements. I, I just can't do that. And the person fires back with, but we agree on the gospel. Don't you want to partner together and for the community to see that we can, cause we're all Christians. How do you respond to that? Well, in that specific instance, you, you mentioned the issue of, of the manif- should there be a manifestation of the spirit and uh, do I I don't know this off the top of my head do assemblies of God say you have to speak in tongues as a evidence of salvation officially on the books they are Pentecostal and their doctrine does say that the initial filling of the spirit will be manifested by speaking in tongues uh, however I do believe many of them will separate the carnal Christian from spiritual Christian and the second work of grace, the second anointing, mm-hmm. you don't get the Holy Spirit till the second work kind of thing. And so I think it just probably depends on the person you're talking to. And perhaps this person you would say that to, and he replies back, well, I don't believe that. I mean, I believe the people speak in tongues, but I don't believe you have to. Come on, partner with me. Sorry, pal. <laughs> 
it's tough though, right? Because on, on one hand, there is a desire for the gospel, like genuinely, mm-hmm. we want to see people get saved. But we're, we are creating a scenario where there's just too many opportunities for for confusion on significant issues that are, even if if they are not, uh, if they're not primary, they're primary adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a new column in the chart? It's a new column. It's all the tweeners, right? Where uh, there's a primary lot. Primary adjacent. Primary adjacent. <laughs> Uh, we, we've had those the, the tweener episodes, right, where we where we wrestle with some things, whether or not some things are primary, whether or not they're secondary, and it's difficult on on some issues. A lot of the issues within the within a uh, charismatic framework are really rub up against those things, mm-hmm. and that's just not not an area I'm comfortable having that level of of unity with. Um, I'm going to keep playing the guy on the phone who, who's calling you. But, hey, you got five churches in town, and four of them have said, yes, you're the only one who's not going to be partnering. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the community going to think? I don't know. I think they'll be more confused by that than if you did partner with us. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's peer pressure at that point, and I I don't, you know, that, that level of pressure is not effective for me i guess i don't know yeah well it is difficult it is that is i mean that one i think maybe might not be as difficult as other potential scenarios but it can get really really tricky when you're asked to uh join in in some way even like endorsing a book or Mm -hmm. something like that uh that in the grand scheme of things is relatively small it still makes us think and we're not just thinking about you know, where we stand and how important these doctrines are to us. So does how does that determine, you know, what, what we do or don't do? But we also have to, I, I think this is an imperative from Christ. We also have to think about how the world will see us because as we mentioned in an episode recently, Francis Schaeffer's book, The Mark of the Christian, Jesus said that there is a sign that he has given to the world that they will know that we are his disciples is if we love one another. And he's not just talking about within our own denomination or within our own local body, but how Christians love and support Christians across the board. That's that's a, a factor we have to take into consideration and really complicates everything. And we, we don't want that to push us into pragmatism to right. where we, we drop all convictions. But at the same time, we want our convictions to be challenged in these types of scenarios as we think about how the world will perceive our stand for our doctrine. And if we think it's secondary, if it's truly secondary, there are probably lots of scenarios where we can truly just let it go um, in a partnering or an endorsement type of situation. But those are all very tricky, and you need to get counsel on that. Well, yeah, the the closer things get to home and how it affects your local church, the more important a lot of those secondary issues are just naturally going to become. Um, You know, I'd say the majority of churches have doctrinal statements that contain secondary matters within their doctrinal statement. Well, I don't know if I'd say majority of churches that are in our circle or our circle adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of churches that don't even have a doctrinal statement, uh, at least on their website anymore. Fair. Uh, I'm thinking of conservative. All good churches. I'm I'm, I'm thinking of conservative evangelical Christianity that actually have convictions about things, Mm -hmm. uh, not you know, wishy-washy, convictionless churches. Yeah. So, so yeah, each situation is different. going to be very difficult to, I don't know, settle on a one-size-fits-all answer here. Yeah. So uh, lean on the people God has placed in your life for wisdom. But again, as it continues to get closer to home, we even, even so you, to the points that we were making earlier in the episode about how we engage with people with grace, even if we're not comfortable doing public endorsements and, and partnering type ministries with individuals. Well, that doesn't mean that we completely shut ourselves off from conversations mm-hmm. with those individuals. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Where, where we just completely like, nope, sh- yep. shun, That's a mistake. you know, put, put up mm-hmm. the wall of shun and just, just completely ignore them. And um, we don't want to let the pendulum swing that far either. Yeah, very challenging. 
the Christian life is very challenging. Yes, so it is. embrace it. Yeah. Anything else to say on this particular subject? I don't think so. I, I'm um, I'm a little disappointed that we did haven't heard uh, your rap of that one tweet that you uh, sent no. out. We kind of skipped over that. Yeah, I guess we did, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and here I here I went off and closed the window. Uh, let me open it back up. <laughs> here we go, kid. You were pretty adamant that I wrapped this. So that that initial tweet that I sent out that I mentioned earlier, theological tribalism is Christian cannibalism. It was replied to a person saying, I often have felt bothered by the factions in Christianity, but being on Christian Twitter when you're to, where you're told you are damned for rejecting Calvinism, that baptism saves, that if you sin before, de- before death, unconfessed, you go to hell, etc., I'm like, yep, denominations got to have them. <laughs> so I responded and said, I don't know if I'm going to wrap this, Ken. I, I responded and said, <laughs> my denom is non-denom. I'm no phenom, but I seek to avoid the v- venom of the denoms. Some say no, de- <laughs> no denom is a denom, which sounds more like rom-com. <laughs> This is so stupid. They're holding pom-pom singing a swan song at prom. IFCA is non-denom, and I renom the truth bomb. The Bible is the calm from God. Are you happy? Happier. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> stupid tweet. I, start, I, I started typing it, and I, I said something like, my denom is non-denom. And I thought, oh, I could just kind of play off of this and make a silly, strange answer. I'm no phenom, but I seek to avoid the venom of the denoms. Some say non-denom is a denom, which sounds more like a rom-com. They're holding pom-pom, singing a swang song at prom. <laughs> <sighs> Love it. My, my, my album drops next year. <laughs> All right. Let's land this stinking plane. Yeah. What a great way to kick off 2023. Yeah, I guess it is next year, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. I, uh, I'm i going to be looking to referee basketball. I let you know last night. That's a new adventure for me. Yeah. Uh, coming up in 2023, and I'm excited about. I have a lot of past experience with basketball, and our city, Parks and Rec, needs some adult referees. And I thought, you know what? This could be like a cool little side hustle thing that I do. Uh, we'll see if that works out. I mean, if I like it, then I can advance on and start doing high school games if I wanted. There you go. But but something I'm a little confused about is referees tend to not have facial hair besides like a mustache. Can you picture in your mind even a basketball referee with a beard? I don't think I've ever seen it. And I've played so many basketball games. And now I'm wondering if that's like a code deal, especially for like high school associations. I wonder if they're going to make me shave my beard if that's something I want to do. Wouldn't that be interesting? Would you do it if you had to shave? <sighs> That would be something I'd have to really think about. I love my beard, and I don't really like my face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, signing on with the Yankees. Like, you gotta gotta be trimmed up, huh? Ah, Play for the Yankees. I was trying to think about you. You know, that's that's pretty true across most sports. I can think of a couple of referees I think that have had beards in in football. Yep, but very few. And, yeah. uh, and then basketball, just try, it doesn't even seem right to even think of like a guy running down the floor in a ref's uniform with a beard. Or, or an umpire on the baseball field. Yeah, right. Um, bearded umpires. I can't think of any um, hockey refs. I can't think of bearded hockey refs, and that's hockey. Yeah. It's kind of like um, presidents. You know, when's the last time a president had a beard? It's been a long time. Nothing yeah. wrong with it. I, may, I think maybe just be like a public appearance thing. So interesting. Anyway, well, that's, that's, that's something that's on my radar for 2023. I guess we'll find out if our next episode, you're clean shaven. I guess we'll know the answer to, to that one. Yeah. Huh? What about uh, your world? What What's a new exciting adventure in 2023? Oh, that's a good question. Um, move again? No. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to be staying put for a while, Lord willing. Uh, no desire to move. Um. I don't know if there's anything that I can really point to and say is like a, something different. 
for 2023 that would be new and exciting other than where, I mean, we're just continuing to, to do ministry, plot along, uh, be faithful where we are. Um, we're going to try different th- things for outreach this year with our church. We're, we're excited about that and exploring what those things could look like. We're finalizing some of those plans. Um, we're recording this end of 2022. Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know. Nothing, nothing immediately jumps to mind. Uh, we're planning on traveling less. We traveled oh. a lot in 2022, and I'm planning on traveling less in 2023. And I'm planning so. on traveling more. Uh yeah, it's a sabbatical year next year for me. Oh, I get a okay. one-month sabbatical, and uh, there are other trips, at least one other trip in there, too. So next year will be a pretty intense travel year. Okay. Or yeah. this year. I'm doing time travel in my mind about <laughs> when people are listening to this. <laughs> the the three people that are still listening right now. Right, right. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm, I am taking the spring semester off of school. That's a thing. Uh, I'm still working on the MDiv degree, but just life circumstances with things being busy and trying to accomplish different things, different priorities. Um, just take a break from the school semester, and we'll get, come back at it, hopefully, Lord willing, in the fall. Maybe a summer semester class or something like that. Um, but that's not really a, it's not a new and exciting thing. It's addition by subtraction, I think. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Sometimes you have to do that. Addition you by subtraction. Got to know when to say no. So. Yep. All right. Very well. Well, that's uh, the first episode of 2023 with the new music. How cool is that? And hopefully this was helpful uh, as you guys think through how you can be a loving, humble Christian, not a tribalistic Christian that seeks to gobble up other tribes and destroy them. But we should learn from them and grow and persuade in love. That's that's the goal. Amen. So until next time, you go out there and do theology.